morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumster, and today we're going to be talking with Gautam Kura, who is the Chief Product Officer and co-founder at a company called Glint. Morning, how are you? Hi, John. Good. How are you? All right. Nice, nice to be with you today. Could you take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience and tell us about your background? How'd you get here? Sure. I started off uh, a couple of decades ago in uh, uh, AI and robotics, AI as it was defined back then, uh, really focusing on machine learning um, and physics as well, so kind of a eclectic uh, set of uh, disciplines. Uh, and I spent the last 20 years uh, working on startups in, uh, in the Silicon Valley and other uh, regions. Uh, working on things like virtual computing, enterprise search, e-discovery, advertising, uh, human computational biology, and now uh, with Glint, uh, trying to build something uh, that really creates a profound impact on how people uh, do work. And so um, it's, it's, it's really exciting to be in a space because for the first time, you know, the last time I felt so excited and passionate about what we're doing uh, because of the kind of impact we're seeing is when uh, I worked on computational biology on, on, on uh, uh, algorithms that can differentiate between uh, two different types of cancer, uh, leukemia. Um, and that was successful and I thought it accomplish something really meaningful. And uh, I get the same type of feeling today at Glenn um, as our data shows that we are succeeding in uh, helping people be happier and more successful at work, which is essentially our mission at Glenn. That's, uh, that's, that's the reason why. I'm sorry. That's okay. Computational biology, thats I, I, I'm sure that's a first. How did you end up doing computational biology? Um, it was uh, part of what I was doing. Uh, it, 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 it extended on things that I was doing in grad school in Cincinnati. Uh, we hit up a collaboration with the Children's Hospital um, looking for some um, uses for some machine learning algorithms uh, that I was developing. And that ended up uh, with a perfect use case where the children's hospital was trying to differentiate between two different types of leukemia. And it's really hard to do that, diagnostically speaking. And so we started looking at gene expression and how uh, this stuff is actually uh, built into your gene and how they express can differentiate these two types of leukemia, but there's too much data in there, too much uh, noise um, for people to look at it and say, hey, you know, this is going to develop into acute lymphoblastic or acute myeloid leukemia. And that's where machine learning came into uh, use to be able to look at the data and try to figure out patterns that, uh, um, that indicate what kind of leukemia might uh, end up developing. Very interesting. So, so I'm I'm almost positive that you're the only uh, co-founder of a business in HR technology with a background in computational biology. That's a, that's a, a a pretty interesting and distinguishing piece. You've also been doing um, machine learning and and forms of AI for for way longer than most. Um, 
Is that, is that what you majored in in college? Yeah, uh, it was uh, in the context of robotics um, and computer vision. And I wish we had some of the technologies and, and uh, uh, computational power we have today back then. Things would have been a lot easier. Yeah, it's amazing. amazing. So, so tell me about Gwent. What does Gwent do? Great question. So, um, Gwent, you know, our, our mission is to help people be happier and more successful at work. And, and the way we see that, the vision we have is a world where everyone loves their job. And, and, and that, I think, is, 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 is really impactful and, and, and powerful and profound to be able to accomplish something like that. And we had a very different way in which we were going about uh, doing that. Uh, first is the realization that the modern organization is very different. Work in today's world is very different than it used to be. And a lot of practices and technology around people haven't kept up. Uh, and so we've, we've kind of looked at it and uh, gone at it from a first principles perspective. Like, hey, let's go back and revisit a lot of things uh, that we're doing at work today um, and change it if necessary, reinvent it if necessary, and bring in uh, the latest in technology, AI, for example, machine learning, real-time technology, um, and, and, and use human-centered design to make that technology not just accessible, but truly useful and valuable uh, to humans at work. So it's this combination of, of, of cutting-edge technology and artificial intelligence, the right type of interaction with humans with respect to design, with respect to how you use it, and all of it built on a really strong foundation of modern organizational science. Um, we have a team of uh, very experienced IO psychologists and uh, OD, organizational development experts. And together, we're really changing some of the foundational tenets of the science uh, to work with the modern world. Um, so, for example, you know, surveying as a practice for the last you know, several decades hasn't changed a lot. Uh, but when you have to, and so a lot of practice and a lot of the science, a lot of statistics um, around surveying has been developed for a particular type of survey, the annual survey, you know, 50, 60 questions, each construct being measured by multiple items, uh, a certain type of scoring, et cetera. But we had to rethink a lot of this given what we wanted to do at Glint, which is, hey, we want to give everybody a voice. We want to empower managers, but even teams as small as five people, to do something about the feedback they're getting, to get the guidance uh, that they need to do something about uh, the feedback they're getting, to understand the feedback. And, and so we had to kind of rethink it. Like, what's, what's, what's the score mean in, in, in this uh, world? How can you ask 50 or 60 questions uh, on a regular basis? Is once a year too little, too often? You got to go back and think through all of this. And I think we've done a really good job because the data uh, shows that we've been successful. In the last year, our average organization had a, a multiple point increase in engagement uh, using our, our methodology and our practice. 
So, so how do you guys define engagement? That's one of those murky terms that's got um, um, more aliases than a drug launderer. And um, um, I, 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 I wonder what your operating definition of engagement is. Yeah, so we think of engagement, uh, we go back to the roots, right? When um, William Kahn uh, defined engagement, he essentially, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but essentially it, it was around, you know, what is that thing that helps people bring their best selves to work, right? And, and that's what we kind of um, uh, think about when we think about engagement. Uh, what helps you bring your best selves to work? If you're bringing your best selves to work, then you're engaged. And so how do you operationalize it? Well, that's a good question, and, and everybody has a different formula. Oftentimes, all of these things end up at the same place. Uh, our, our framework and our methodology really uh, use a very data-driven approach. And so we start with the outcome. We say, well, what's important to you? What do you need? What do you want when you have engaged employees? Do you want to retain your best performers? Do you want... Uh, you know, which, which translates to organizational commitment. Uh, do you want motivated people at higher performance? You know, some people call that a discretionary effort, right? Um, and, and by the way, can you measure discretionary effort through a set of items, or is that easily gameable, right? And so we look at it from a outcome point of view, and we look at what measures are highly correlated with the outcome and are a leading indicator of that outcome. And so we ended up with a very, really uh, powerful set of measurements, a small set of measurements, which uh, end up measuring this concept, this, this kind of a, this, this abstract concept called engagement, right? Where we, we see it, you know, we, we know it when you see it, people are at their best. And so uh, it, it, the measurement itself can be changed. So for some companies, engaged employees result in innovation as an example and that's their definition of engagement and we can figure out what innovation how innovation is measured as an outcome and we can look at the items uh, the constructs that best measure this intermediate stage the state where engagement results in innovation and then go backwards from that and say well what are the things that drive or are potentially causative of that particular state or are, are highly correlated with that state at, at the very least. And so we can, we, we can easily, in every organization, kind of, kind of build their own uh, custom uh, construct of engagement. They can start with what we have, which works pretty much 90% of the time, and then uh, customize it to their organization's needs, uh, to how they want engaged employees to, uh, uh, to be seen. Does that make sense? Sure, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so I've got a couple questions further. One is, one is, tell me again how often um, you survey employees in a company. Um, I, I, I want to be sure that I understand uh, sort of how timely the measurements are. Absolutely. So one of the things. Uh, it, it's a holistic listening process. A lot of organizations uh, are typical, it depends on the size of the organization, depends on the uh, capabilities built into the organization. Um, we have a path to transformation. 
And uh, I'll talk about what a transformed organization looks like because not every organization is um, ready to be there from day one. But the majority, in fact, all of our organizations who wanted to have uh, gotten there. So for a typical enterprise company, you know, a, a large enterprise with say 10,000 employees, right? That, that's a good, you know, uh, beyond that, a lot of organizations look very similar. Uh, a 10,000 person company globally uh, situated, lots of offices in different countries, different cultures, um, and, you know, an HR organization that's mature um, to support 10,000 employees, et cetera. Um, at our transform stage, has a quarterly cadence of surveying the entire population. Um, and so four times a year, you're hearing from the entire population. A quarterly pulse survey ends up being, you know, three to five minutes because we have a really easy process to get in, in, our, in our recommendation, which is based on data, is that people can spend three to five minutes responding to a survey every quarter and don't burn them out, right? So you get 80%. Uh, response rates quarter after quarter for three years, four years in a row for a lot of companies. Um, and so there's a quarterly 20 25 question pulse survey. A lot of the nuance we get from open ended comments, we can talk a little bit about that with so just natural language processing. And supplemented by that, a lot of companies also have an open, always on uh, survey, sometimes multiple surveys. Um, uh, so the always on uh, instrument allows people to provide feedback at any time. Doesn't they don't have to wait for that quarterly census? Um, and combined with that, we also have a lifecycle listening program where you have 30-day uh, onboarding, typically uh, exit surveys. Uh, people also do on-demand ad hoc surveys uh, to either the census or uh, specific subpopulations. For example, after promotion. Um, after some uh, major event, uh, an m and activity, sometimes people do uh, culture surveys, diversity and inclusion surveys, uh, healthcare companies survey their nurses, nursing populations for, for certain reasons, safety surveys. Uh, they're all quick point in time uh, ways to get feedback. And what that allows organizations is to be abreast of what's going on. Um, and because it's so easy, both from an administrative point of view, in fact, one of the things that a lot of organizations come and say four times a year, wow, that seems like a lot, because they're taking their annual survey and multiplying it by four in terms of effort. But the truth is that when you do it right, when you do it for the technology that we have and the user experience we have, it, the, the, the quarterly survey is a tenth of the effort and cost and overall uh, work needed to implement a quarterly survey than an annual. So four times is actually much lesser work and lesser energy spent than your annual. And you get your results immediately. And every manager has those results and every manager can act on those results once a quarter. And employees feel like they're, they're being heard. And you catch problems right there before they become bigger. You catch opportunities you know, while there's still opportunities. Uh, and everything becomes a lot more agile. Uh, and that's the word I have when I think about this, nimble and agile. It just makes organizations feel like, you know, you're a 10,000-person company or you're a 100,000-person company, but now you're behaving like you're a 1,000-person company or a 500-person company. And, and that's what's cool about it. That, that's interesting. So 
So how do you use AI to get this done? Yes. So um, AI is, um, by the way, the word AI is, is so, uh, it, it's like saying algorithms, right? It's, it's a certain class of smarter algorithms um, that the way I, I define it is, you know, here are things that, um, because a lot of times with AI, what happens is you, you, you do something and then five years later, it's not called AI anymore because it feels like, hey, if machines can do it, it can be, you know, artificial intelligence, right? You know, the definition of AI becomes something else. So, for example, um, recognizing faces, right, and photographs used to be like the thing, research thing to work on, the advanced research thing to work on years ago. Uh, but now every photo editing, manipulating software has something like that built into it. And you're like, ah, that's not AI, right? You can recognize faces and that's, a machine should be able to do it. It's just an algorithm. Um, so, you know, the way I define it is if, if it was not possible for a machine to do it, you know, a few years ago, and an algorithm that learns from data as opposed to being programmed, right, learns from um, uh, examples, can do it now, then uh, that's, you know, a type of AI. Um, and so, because these definitions can end up being a little contentious, um, but we use a lot of algorithms in our work. And, and the reason why we do that is when you are surveying four times a year, right, and let's say you are a 10,000-person company, um, or let's say you're a 100,000-person company, right, at, at the company level, you're going to get half a million comments in a year, probably more, because uh, the way our surveys are structured, it, you know, it, it elicits a lot of, like, feedback in people's own words, which is the most useful feedback as we've, we've found. Um, and so when you have half a million pieces of comments and feedback, what do you do about it, right? And also, if you're a 100,000 person organization, you have all these demographics, you know, uh, how do you know what to focus on? What's the big headline? What's that uh, piece of information that you really need to focus on? Right. If you're a manager with 10 people, you, it's not that hard. But if, if you're a, a manager of a division with thousands of people, or you're the CEO, or you're the head of HR, uh, or you're HRBP of a region, what do you do? So um, the other way to think about it is what we're replacing, the industry we are, we're in right now has traditionally been serviced by consultants. And uh, it, it, consultants bring years of experience, understanding of I.O. psychology, understanding of how organizations work in practice, uh, uh, you know, the kind of change management needs organizations and people have, all of this. And, and they're able to take all of this data and look for patterns, look for patterns that they recognize, right, given their, their knowledge and understanding, and come up with the headlines, the actionable pieces of insight for, for leaders. Unfortunately. Consulting can be scaled, right? You have a consultant, you go in, you tell the executive team what to do, tell them how to look at the data uh, and the leadership team, and that's about it. What about the thousands of other managers, right? Where, where, where do they get that insight and guidance from? So this is why AI is really important for us because what we're trying to do is to really scale that consultant, scale that consultant to all those managers that don't have access to that consultant in one sense. And in fact, we're also freeing up consultants. We actually have a team of consultants who help our larger organizations. And what they find is compared to 
older uh, methods, right, with the help of AI, and I'll talk about what exactly happens in a bit, just want to give a context of why AI is powerful and useful and foundational to what we're doing, is that when a consultant looks at the AI tools available to them, they don't have to go in. So I'll give an example. In the past, you know, there would be teams of analysts looking, you know, going through Excel pivot tables or running R scripts or, or what have you, trying to find patterns in the data, right? Trying to find what's meaningful, what's not meaningful, what's statistically significant, which subpopulations are affected by what are the drivers of engagement for, you know, uh, let's say uh, millennials in, in Asia Pacific, uh, assuming millennials are different from others, right? Which we be finding more and more that they're not. But those types of insights. And it take, you know, an army of, of analysts many weeks to analyze all this data. But now what consultants have is a machine that can actually find those patterns for them, find what's meaningful, what's statistically significant, which subpopulation is sufficiently different from others that their outcomes are going to be different, which populations are at risk for attention, um, for you know, safety, uh, et cetera, and then have that list shown to them along with the causative, you know, what, what, what caused that, that, that particular thing to pop up. And, and what that allows consultants to do is to not do this mechanical spreadsheet manipulation and, and running pivot tables, and et cetera. They can focus on, hey, I, I see this data, and I understand it because I understand the organization and business strategy, and I can now do something at a higher level. It, it, it elevates them a little bit beyond uh, you know, just data analysis and, and gets them to the next stage of, how do we get this organization to improve in what we are seeing here? And, and, and for the, the typical manager, it's able to give them the kind of, okay, here's not just a bunch of scores, but it will tell you what's actually relevant to you and your team, given your existing situation, and what can you do about it? What should you do about it? So that's kind of why AI is so important to us. This is kind of augmenting the intelligence of, of every user. And one of the key uh, technology uh, areas where we have, uh, this, this, there's multiple, but I'll talk about a couple. One is you know, just recognizing patterns in the data, finding meaningful patterns, things that are relevant and surfacing them out of the millions of combinations of, of, of uh, possibilities that are, that, that are, that, that are uh, existing in the data. The second is understanding comments. Um, you know, you have a 500,000 comments. Uh, what is the sentiment for a particular topic? In fact, what topics exist? Uh, which topics are meaningful? If people are talking about work-life balance, is it because people generally like to talk about work-life balance, or is it because there's something important going on there? Um, if I have a 1,000 comments about work-life balance, are there 50 that are truly representative that I can read and give me a summary of what those 1,000 are talking about? Are people in Asia-Pacific talking about this topic, about empowerment, differently than people in North America? And is that difference a cultural difference, or is that a real uh, difference that has uh, different outcomes for these regions? Um, you know, out of the 500,000 comments that I've got, there's maybe 10,000 that are actually prescriptive in nature. There's probably 10% of, of the, you know, where, where, where there's language that suggests a, uh, some advice or input rather than simply describing uh, how things are. Um, so 
uh, our natural language processing uses AI to detect all this, detect sentiments, detect topics. Uh, more than detecting topics and sentiments, the real, um, I, I feel, breakthrough here is understanding the context of the uh, topics and sentiments and themes within the uh, uh, comments. Because context is everything, right? Knowing that there's, you know, 20% of your comments are about empowerment doesn't tell you a lot. What does empowerment mean? Is it a cultural thing? Is it something to do with the measure? Uh, you know, when people are talking about it, what does that really mean, you know? So that's what our, 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 our uh, we call it narrative intelligence, right? Narrative intelligence from, from two perspectives. It's intelligence about the narrative of your company, but it's also how we present it, right? We think narratives work better than uh, just numbers uh, and give you the story behind your company. So I, I hope that kind of explained a little bit about, you know, how you're using AI at a high level. Uh, are there any things that you feel we should dig into? Oh, oh, I think I think that's great. Let's let's shift. We're we're headed towards the the end of our time together. Uh, a, a big question that I'd like to to hear about is, what do you think the major ethical issues are in your work? It's a great question. I think whenever you have uh, powerful tools, uh, there is a chance for misuse and abuse. Uh, generally, in the AI field, there's a lot of, you know, there's tons and tons of ethical issues, right? Um, and you don't need to go into all of those. But there is concern around AI algorithms uh, being biased in some way or the other. And the more powerful they are, the more black box algorithms you have, uh, the more chances that there are biases within these algorithms that are built in. And you, don't, you can't even recognize them until much later, right? You have to see the output to kind of say, okay, there's a pattern of bias here. Um, so that's one example of an ethical issue that's generally prevalent in the AI field. One of the good things about what we are doing is we are using AI to help empower employees to have a voice. And we're summarizing that voice. We're helping people quickly identify things within, that, within the feedback. Uh, we're helping guide managers, et cetera. So uh, the, the kinds of, you know, there could be essentially uh, inherent algorithmic biases. Uh, the, the, the way we deal with it at Glint is, you know, and this is one of the reasons why we're actually successful at using AI is because a lot of people look at it from a very heuristic point of view, from a black box point of view. We don't do that. In fact, you know, if you, uh, our algorithms are very transparent and open, and they are essentially a combination of learning from data and curation by IO psychologists and OD experts. And because of this combined learning from data on top of a, essentially an ontology that's built from organizational development science, we mitigate a lot of these ethical issues that uh, we, we see you know, prevalent in, in AI tools and AI technologies in general. And also it, it makes our product and our, our AI actually a lot more powerful because it's kind of a melding of minds, right? So I call, like to call it augmented intelligence. Um, you, you get the stuff that's not easily um, human uh, generatable from the data. At the same time, you're using a framework of organizational development that's tried and trusted and, and has, has been proven in practice across you know, lots and lots of organizations. 
So our ontology and our taxonomy, et cetera, are really curated by humans. Uh, there's a lot of transparency in terms of how the algorithms work. We don't really use any black box uh, algorithms, um, except in, in certain types of predictions uh, where we know that the outcome is, it's, you know, it, it's not going to be um, affected by biases, uh, or rather the biases are not going to impact uh, people in a way that might be harmful. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's where I think I think you know I feel really uh, proud of what we've built. Um, this level of transparency and this level of kind of melding of the human and um, data-driven um, algorithmic uh, um, approaches. Fantastic. Listen, we we uh, we have. Run to the edge of our half hour together. Uh, would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself to the audience and tell them how they might get a hold of you? Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, thank you for having me here. My name is Gautam Kura. I am the uh, co-founder and chief product officer at Glint, and uh, uh, I'm at uh, gkura at glintinc.com. Thanks so much, Gotham. It's been a treat to get to talk to you, get to know you a little bit better. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Uh, We've been talking with Gotham Kura, who is the co-founder and chief product officer at Glint. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye now. (laughs) 